Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California, now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. The challenge when Teresa asked me to do this is come tell scary stories about Wonder Valley. The challenge was everybody who was here would know all the scary stories about Wonder Valley. They may even have committed most of them. So I'm kind of going through all my files now. They know that one. They know that one. Ah. So hopefully you won't know all of them. There are 900 people who live in Wonder Valley, according to the census. I've never seen more than about 50. And that, that was once at the Palms. So I don't know about the other 850. There was a interview with uh, Max Rossi, the pastor at what church, I don't remember. And he was trying to sound nice, but if you listen to it with scary music, it kind of sounded like a horror movie trailer. Because he said, this is a great place to run away from something. <laughs> from a bad relationship, from debt, from bad parents, from fears. People can run away into the desert and hide quite well. And I thought, I might want to try out that guy's church. Because... <laughs> It's, uh, it sounded more self-aware than what, than what you often hear from a pulpit. And then I did look him up, and it turns out he travels a lot, and he's not always at the church here, so I guess he's good. It was one of those articles that reporters right when they're trying to get their magazine or their newspaper to pay them to come up to the high desert for a weekend. And there's only a couple of stories, so they recycle every few years. And this one was also, uh, it had chapter titles within the story. So it was like, they wanted to win an award. And that's how you tell if you're reading a magazine article and it's got like chapter titles. and a lot of kind of poetic phrases like you, you might enter the awards with something like that and it had some poetic parts and it was talking about the difficulties of living out here and the list of usual minor discomforts that always show up in those things you know the blistering heat rattlesnakes and then the end of the list was and bobcats and vultures. And I know a lot of people don't know a whole lot about the desert and the peculiar things and the, the ways. And, but bobcats and vultures are very rarely on any list of dangers. The only verified example I have of a person having trouble with a bobcat there's a picture that's been going around on the internet for years and it's a bobcat in somebody's bathtub and it's wet and it looks very angry and then there's a text that was supposedly on a Facebook post or something and it says, I found this lost cat, and it's so grumpy. <laughs> and if this is your cat, please come get it. It's already peed all over the floor. You know, it's scratched up my arms. It's, it's a fake. The picture is real, but it's from like a wildlife rehabilitation place. You know, bobcats. And then vultures. Vultures are pretty much never a problem while you have any danger left in you, you know? Uh, 
I've never seen anyone feel threatened by a vulture. You might, you might consider it an omen. And when they migrate in this time of year, and you see like 30 of them, you know, over the jack in the box in 29 Palms. And I don't know, not going in there today. But you're not scared of them. So this was a story I heard. I think Ken Sitz told me the story. And I asked around a lot afterwards. It was very hard to find any any details. Eventually, I mean, I think this goes back three or four years. Now and then I'd see it on a list of stories I wanted to put in the magazine or on the radio show. And then I'd try again. Let's try this combination of search terms. And I hit on it once and the story came up and I've never found it again. But the idea was a television production company was going to buy a passenger jet that was at the end of its life and then they were going to fly it over Wonder Valley and the pilots were going to parachute out and they were going to crash it in here and they would make a show about it and they'd plan it all in advance and everything and it, this wasn't like in the 50s or something it was in the, the early 90s mid 90s So it did not get made. There was a Los Angeles Times story about it, but it got far enough that there were lawyers talking to the federal government. You know, we have this idea. And they wanted to crash it into BLM land, which, as you know, around here is sometimes surrounded on five sides by houses. So it... Uh, it sounds absolutely insane. It's something that someone only would have pitched you know, before 9-11. The idea that you were going to intentionally, for entertainment, you know, crash passenger planes into residential areas. Um, it would have been the TV event of the year, but it never happened. And I kind of keep that story in the back of my mind whenever people really start complaining to me about like Instagram you know because Instagram maybe it's a little annoying sometimes people stop in the middle of the road and take pictures whatever they did that before Instagram too honestly but I haven't heard anyone with plans to you know like crash a plane uh, into one of the high desert communities lately on purpose you know for fun There were two jets, and I found that I ran into this by accident. Apparently, it happened in March. There were two like, F A 18s that, that collided midair somewhere right overhead here, but they did not crash, so it was a friendly collision, I guess. They made it back to the airfield, but it caused $2 million in damage. You know, you, you, you know those guys got a uh, blood alcohol check when they landed after that. And checking the surveillance video at the Virginian. <laughs> now about the only other well-known history about this particular area that everybody's heard some version of is that Ronald Reagan was a homesteader in Wonder Valley. He got a plot. But he never built his cabin. He never proved up. You'd think he could afford it. He was a popular actor at that point. He was on uh, Death Valley Days. That's apparently when he got the kind of desert desert cowboy, you know, bug. Right, we'll get a place out here. But because he never proved up, it went back in the BLM, and nobody knows which parcel it is, you know. It might be 
right here. It might be 10 miles that way. But had things gone just a little different, this could have been the home of the Ronald Reagan historical homesteader ranch and you know, burial mound or whatever they did with him. And that could have changed the whole character of the place. But it never happened. Simi Valley got that rich cultural prize. Now, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and like everybody under about 30, not you all, you're educated, but other audiences, Yucca Valley, you know. Uh, people don't really have any idea who Ronald Reagan was which is kind of weird you know, I've, I've had people actually say like the airport <laughs> yeah they did change the airport for that guy and a lot of people still call it national but it's just not known and you watch people on the news you know on the cable news who were alive and like working in media and politics and whatever when Ronald Reagan was president and they just act like they don't remember it and it was weird like I remember I was in like high school and in a you know, hamburger diner or something, the TV's on, and Ronald Reagan comes out and he says that he's identified a, a welfare queen, that's what he, the, the words he used, who'd got a, uh, who got a new convertible every six months from food stamps. And so they got to shut down, you know, the food stamps and the mental hospitals and everything. And everybody just acted like that was fine, and then everybody forgot it. So in like 10 or 15 years, nobody's going to remember anything that's going on now. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we'll all still be here. Hopefully Yucca Man won't get all of us. That's what you got to worry about. You know, a lot of people get nervous out in the desert at night. And you can say statistics, you know, you can say... Look, the chances of the home invasion robbery that you're going to hear on the radio tomorrow being your house are, are very small. But it still seems kind of weird out there. The real issue is Yucca Man. Because Yucca Man, Yucca Man victims never show up in the paper. There's no crime you can associate with it. They're just gone. A lot of the spooky stories that circulate about this area that you've heard in the past that you'll hear more of have to do with this road, which is a haunted road. Everybody knows it's haunted. And even if you've lived here for years and years, you know, about 3 a.m. you're driving back and your eyes are kind of tired. Then you remember, ah, oh, it's haunted. <laughs> and you start looking at the shoulders and went, oh, that's a mailbox. Yeah. Well, that was a tire. But then, now and then, you see a kind of hazy figure. A figure that seems sort of lit from within. And this figure has been seen on these roads in the Mojave since the U.S. Army was cutting the old Spanish trail into the Mojave Road. And they called her the white lady. Um, it wasn't a racial put down. It was because she's all white. She's just like a sheep, like a Halloween ghost. No features on the face, just kind of a diffused light. And sometimes she motions for you to stop. And you stop because you've lost your mind 
and you roll down the window and can I help you and then there's various things after that usually she just vanishes you know you pull over she's there you roll down the window where'd she go route 66 is because we had so much traffic for so long to and from LA Route 66 is where most of these stories pile up and they start showing up in these kind of quirky travel guides in the 40s and 50s. The white lady of Route 66, the white lady of Cadiz. There's one because she was around the Cadiz sign. Marines have added a lot to this lore. because they're really the perfect kind of people to spread crazy stories about a specific place. You you imagine coming here from North Carolina or something, a place with trees, water, Waffle House on every freeway stop. You come out here And if you don't have any experience with a landscape like this, with a place like this, it kind of gives you the creeps. Especially when you're, you know, barely 18 years old. And especially when everybody on base knows this, and they're going to take advantage of you. They're going to send you out to see the Yucca Man. Now, the official documentation of this tradition is non-existent as far as I can find, but the rich oral history that I've heard from many both current and retired Marines suggests that it's kind of a rite of passage. And it often happens on that first night after you come in on the bus. The bus used to come from El Toro. I don't know where it comes from now. And you're tired, you're disoriented. You go into barracks. And then there, there's some, you know, wiseacre shaking you. You gotta go out there and see the Yucca Man. You gotta protect this place from the Yucca Man. And you know it's a stunt. You know it's a trick. You know it's made to kind of break you in. But it's also dark out there, and it doesn't look like any place you've ever seen. So you get dressed, you get your flashlight, whatever they give you for a weapon, a broom or something, and then out you go. Just make a circle around there, and you know it's coming. It's like going to one of these haunted houses at Halloween. You know, you know there's uh, the guy from the auto parts stores down there and he's going to grab your ankle when you walk by. And you can objectively know that, but it's still going to scare you. So the guy walks around slowly and there's that thing where you're walking in the sand at night and you hear it echoing back. So it sounds like somebody's behind you. And then you get to the end where it's completely dark and you kind of run through it. And then you turn your back halfway in the light again and you're starting to feel like, all right, that wasn't so bad. And then the guy in the camouflage ghillie suit with all the strings hanging off of it jumps out from behind the creosote and makes a terrible noise and you fall over and You're embarrassed and everybody's laughing. But then you know you're done with it. The thing is, is that every now and then, somebody gets knocked out by something in that process. The original story comes from 1972 when there was a lot less up there, including a lot less lights.
So there's the old rifle range. And this guy's in a guard booth. And he's got his radio on. And he's got the windows open because it's cooled down to about 98. And he hears a breeze and he hears a sound. And he walks out. And what he first sees are the eyes. And these eyes show up in a lot of these stories. The eyes are yellow-red like, like coals in a fire. They're not reflecting anything. They're intensely bright. When you hear younger people tell these stories, they'll say it's like LED lights. I like coals. It sounds better. And it also has a sense of something going on behind it. And the weird thing about the eyes is it never looks like something that's moving in a normal way, something where there's a gate from a walk and the eyes would be going like this. They just sit right there, side by side. And when they move, they move like whatever it is is walking sideways. It's an eerie kind of goofy effect that can almost throw you off because you think, well, that's not real. That's not how things work. And then you smell it. And the smell is always the same. It's sulfur. Like that propane rotten egg smell. And then you hear a kind of hum that turns into a growl. And then, with a lot of the tales, a lot of the stories, that's it. You wake up in the sand on your back a while later. What was that? The two stories that come up a lot about driving through Mojave Trails and Mojave National Preserve. Both come from marine sources. The first time I heard this one, I went looking around and I found almost the exact version, even the year was right, on a like marine message board about something very specific, like equipment or something. It wasn't, you know, it was a thing with a bunch of ads all over it. And it was like, oh yeah, I'll tell you one. This is what I remember. So this guy has to work late, and he's got three buddies, and they're going to Vegas. They went ahead. So he's driving by himself. And he comes this way. He turns left, which you have to do. He goes over the mountain, now he's coming down toward Roy's and Amboy. He gets around Roy's and he makes that left on Kelbaker Road that goes into the preserve, what we used to call the East Mojave National Scenic Area. And then a little past the interstate he sees a, and it's very specific here, a red Miata, a little red Miata convertible spun out over the two lane. And the driver's door is flung open and there's stuff all over the road, all over the blacktop, like a coat and a suitcase and a purse, like it's all been flung out. And as he slows down and gets closer and starts to get more detail in his headlights, he sees two people face down, a man and a woman, on the road, kind of twisted. He gets out with the instinct of helping, wanting to help. 
and as he walks over the clothing and the junk tossed out of the car, in the beam of his high beams behind him, he starts to see figures rise on either side of the blacktop. It's people, and it's a bunch of them. And they're moving out of the brush, out of the sand, and up onto the shoulder. At that point, he decides it's okay to freak out. And as he's turning to run back to his car, he sees the people on the road rising up. So he jumps in, he slams the door. He claims he slams it on his leg and then drives through, maneuvers through the people and the luggage and around the Miata with his foot hanging out of his car. And then he gets himself completely in the vehicle after he clears and says, I drove about 110 all the way to the Nevada line. I thought of about 20 explanations for that. Assuming it happened, which you have to assume it happened at least once out here. <laughs> and about the only one I ever came up with that might be mundane is that maybe people were shooting a low-budget horror movie without permits out on the road at night. But you can see cars coming for probably a mile and a half from that vantage point, kind of right around where the Mojave National Preserve sign is. The other one are the spook lights on Amboy Road. And this one I know a little about because I'm the one that this one happened to. We'll be back in a few moments with more Desert Oracle Radio in Wonder Valley. Thanks to Red Blue, Black Silver, and Ben Rovell for the sounds you are hearing right now.
Welcome back to Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. And this program comes to you tonight from Wonder Valley, at the edge of the Cleghorn Lakes Wilderness and Mojave Trails National Monument. I was in Death Valley. It was the super bloom a couple of years ago. People were coming from all over the world to see a little more flowers than usual in the spring there. It was very pretty. But everything was booked up. Pahrump was booked up. There was also a uh, like a relay foot race going on that weekend. So I could, I could not stay. I spent the day. I had to brought camping stuff, so I was just going to drive back. I stopped at the Mad Greek and got some coffee. And I got on the road, and it was very nice out. Saw a couple of critters crossing the road here and there. Saw an owl swoop by. And then I came around Roy's. I took a look to see if they were still open. Drop in and say hi, but they were closed. And then I started going up the grade between the salt pans. And as I'm getting up the grade, like coming up on Cleghorn, I see lights in my rear view and they're going really fast in my direction. And my first thought is, let's take it down to a safe and sane 58 or so, you know, within within the margin of argument with a CHP officer. And the lights keep coming. And this is a point, if you make that drive a lot, you know it's just kind of a long line. And you can look back and see the road all the way in the daytime. You can see the crater on the left. And now the lights are a few car lengths behind me. And I'm thinking, let's let them pass, and then we can all get back to our driving. But instead, they stay right there with the lights just kind of blinding me in my mirror. So, being a middle-aged man, I decided I'd just slow down to such an obnoxious point that they'd have to pass me. You won't do this when you're 17 because you're still scared it's somehow a cop. But, you know, at this point... And I go down, I'm on the cruise control doing it with the button, you know, five miles an hour per, per push. And it comes to a complete stop when I come to a complete stop. So now that I'm stopped, I turn my head around to look behind me, and the lights retreat at what looked like, you know, 100 plus miles an hour. No turning around, no anything, just straight back. And it was one of those things that you spend a couple of moments trying to make some kind of sense out of. And then I just got out and looked down the road behind me and I see the lights zip off to a point of light in the distance and just blink out. And I've been driving for a while at that point and I had a moment of, well, Maybe it's some pranksters. And maybe I should drive down there and find out. I mean, and do what, you know? But it was late, and I was tired, and I just convinced myself, oh, it's the the well-known Amboy pranksters who are out there middle of the night on a weeknight.
So I sort of forgot about it for a while. And eventually I looked it up and there were a couple of stories out there about weird lights kind of hanging around cars, following cars over that camping area on the BLM land within the Cleghorn Lakes wilderness. And then a couple weeks ago, I was at Amboy Crater, and I was talking about this because everyone was going to have to, you know, drive that road home, and I wanted them to be scared. So I told the story, and then after we broke it down, it was the 25th anniversary of the California Desert Protection Act um, that made Mojave National Preserve a national park and made Joshua Tree a national park, Death Valley. And a guy comes up afterwards and introduces himself. He's like a photographer that does work for government agencies, land agencies mostly. And he says, yeah, that, that I kind of got chills when you were telling that story because the same thing happened to me through the preserve. And in his case, it was about an hour and a half before sunup because he was racing to get to some place where he had to take some pictures of birds in the morning, you know, and the birds will be all out in the morning with a nice light. And he was coming out of Nipton, where he was staying. And then a little bit into the preserve, around the place where the old SEMA store is, he got these distant lights that he first thought CHP, he slows down, they come right up. He, apparently being more intelligent than I am, decided instead of stopping when there's some unknown weird threat that he would instead speed up and keep going. So he did, and he drove very fast, and he said they paced him all the way to Kelso Depot. And at Kelso Depot, he turned left there, where the stop sign is before the railroad tracks. And when he turned left, he said nothing came out behind him. So he said they were just kind of on his bumper and he turns left and then they were gone. They didn't go right. They didn't go into the depot parking lot. And I've thought a lot about, well, what's the point of that? And like most weird things that happen to people, there's no point. It, I mean, if it's some sort of intelligence, I guess it gets some sort of joy out of causing single car accidents. Because it's hard to come up with a rational response for something like that. The scariest story, especially for people who buy real estate out here, is a true story, and it's something called Shack Attack. Does anybody remember Shack Attack? You tell realtors about this sometimes, and they just start crying. The county of San Bernardino got state and federal grants and knocked down as many homestead cabins as they could in the high desert, mostly in Wonder Valley, but also in Flamingo Heights, Landers, some up on the Mesa even. There were originally 4,000 habitable, habitable, habitable homesteaders out here. And more than half of the structures that were still up went down in the 10-year period. So you just wonder what the county would do if they had a time machine. I think they'd go back and undo all that because they probably about triple the tax base up here.
the most interesting stories that often come up about a place show up in the anonymously submitted UFO reports. These are interesting because nobody can get any fame or glory or anything out of it. They've just contacted this organization. There are a couple that will take your reports. There's one called the National UFO Reporting Center. And they'll take your reports and they have a database that you can get onto online. And it's not updated quite enough to... Did anybody see the, the, the UFO over the National Park over 29 Palms three weeks ago? So this one was... I only learned about it because Sky's the Limit Observatory posted on Facebook and Twitter. And I think it was just one of the greatest social media posts I ever saw because it just started hysteria. Um, what they said was, we've been getting a lot of calls, so people are calling, which takes a lot of effort to get anyone to you know, actually call a number because somebody might pick up. And they're calling and they're saying, south of the 62 over the National Park in 29. There was something and it was dramatic enough that people were calling up and you know, who should we call? I guess we'll call the observatory. Maybe they'll go observe it. But they did not. What they said is First, they told enough details to make everybody run out and want to look at it. And then they said, we're a volunteer organization. We don't have the resources to investigate such things. And then they very helpfully put the sheriff's non-emergency dispatch number. Call the sheriff. Call, call, call the people on the night shift in Victorville. That, that'll get... Uh, We'll get to the bottom of it that way. <laughs> so if anyone did call the sheriff's office, it never made it into the police blotters. I've been carefully watching the police news ever since. Nothing about it. But a week later, there was something else. And I saw this one, and hundreds of people must have seen this one. It was... Uh, 7.30-ish and I was coming back from Joshua Tree to 29 and it was kind of roughly over where the Del Taco is which is a very romantic location see a beautiful UFO and it looked like a, like a, a space worm it was uh, shimmery and kind of like an airport windsock but moving like this and with a lit from within and I did not have the sense that it was necessarily anything uh, of non-prosaic origin because it just stayed there and it was so clear and it was so well lit and I, I guess that happens sometimes when people see whatever UFOs are but it looked like something manufactured. And then I drove all the way around it, like up to Two Mile Road and then back again, and it just stayed in this fixed position. And while I have a fairly good sense that somebody was playing with something involving LEDs and I don't know what, the weird thing was, it was just over there, right next to a marine base, with all this weaponry, and it was over the area for a good 10, 15 minutes that I drove around it. And I saw it kind of all the way from Copper Mountain. And you realize when weird things happen like that, there's nobody to call. There's no one who can do anything about it. In the Phoenix Lights in 1997, 
these mile-wide, silent, black triangles were just hovering silently in place over major intersections, over the Phoenix Mountains Preserve. The governor, Fife Symington, heard all the chatter on his radios and drove over himself to Phoenix Mountains Preserve and saw it. He said it covered the entire mountains. If you know Phoenix, there's like Squaw Peak and there's two other mountains. And it's probably two miles across and there are these nice homes around it. It's kind of like how Camelback Mountain is. And that's why he said that he marched out a staffer when it became national news and had a press conference and said they'd gotten to the bottom of it and the staffer had like a Halloween costume of a E.T. and they dragged him out, a couple of the Arizona State Police and the press kind of chuckled and later he admitted he saw it and he was asked, why did you lie about that? He said, because I was very afraid there was going to be a breakdown of society. People were losing their minds. There were semi-trucks on the 10 just pulled over on the side of the road with the truckers standing out in the middle of the interstate looking up at these things that looked like they were, you know, a couple of hundred feet above their heads. And why go to work tomorrow? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's here. So I'll tell you a couple of quick local stories along that line. It's a kind of news, because even though that's not really news, they're old stories, they're usually news to people because they don't show up in the paper or on the radio station or something. But they happen to people and these strange events stuck in people's minds. And every time I do one of these, and I hope the same thing will happen today, somebody's going to come up afterwards and tell me the weirdest damn thing, something I've never heard before. A guy who lives in Wonder Valley who I've never seen again, he came to a thing we did at the uh, High Desert Nature Museum. And he comes up afterwards and he says, you know, when it's nice out, I'll sleep outside and I have like one of those pool lawn chairs, the flat ones, with like a chase lounge kind of thing. And he said he woke up on a moonless night and there were little balls of light going all around him, under the chair, going around him. And he sat up kind of thinking he was still half asleep and he was there he was he was awake and it was just these little points of light just kind of swirling all around him and then they went off the end of the chair and just kind of bounced over the desert and he watched them just kind of retreat into the distance i had never heard that before i don't even know what how do you classify that very little UFOs. <laughs> so this is one from the National UFO Reporting Center. And this is driving between 29 Palms and Amboy. I saw a flashing light up ahead and came upon a UFO. 50 yards or less away from us, flashing one large light from the middle of the bottom only saw the bottom of the craft, two things coming from opposite edges. The light flashing changed both pulse and rhythm. I left the scene. Then, between Amboy and Essex, it appeared in front of me. It flashed three lights in different rhythms. The light shut off, a big light flashed on the bottom, again illuminating the bottom of this thing he saw. I assumed it was the same UFO. 
that's often the weirdest part of these things. You see something and then 20 minutes later or something, it shows up again. It's like, oh great, I've been, I've been marked. They're going to be with me for a while now. And there was supposed to be this raid area 51 festival up by Area 51 north of Vegas in September because four million people on Facebook said they were gonna break into Area 51 and get the aliens. Well, maybe 40 showed up and they showed up to make internet videos. There were two people who tried to get onto the base and release the aliens. They were Dutch YouTubers. They were arrested and deported. But on that road, what's now called the extraterrestrial highway, that goes up through Alamo and Rachel into the little alien. These three tourists from the Bay Area are planning to camp by the side of the road and then they're going up to Burning Man. So as they're driving, they see these kind of spotlights behind them and assume it's a helicopter or something. And the lights get brighter and brighter and they're just seeing them through their rear view and through their side mirrors. And finally they get so obnoxious, the bright flashes, that it's illuminating the whole front of the car as well as they're driving. So they pull over to get out and take a look at what it is. And when they do, there's nothing there. There's nothing flying, there's no sound. So they continue, they drive another hour, so another 60, 70 miles. Find this place, I believe it was the uh, Paranagat Wildlife uh, Refuge. And they camp there, set up their tents. It's a regular campground, you can camp there. And once they got settled into the tent and were just falling asleep, the same lights, but now outside the tent. And if, if you camp, you know how hard it is to get out of a tent. Especially if it's cold, or you're very tired, or uncomfortable, and you finally just got to sleep, and you just don't want to go out there. So you just try to will it away. You know, it's like if you're camping at Yosemite, and you start hearing this and things get knocked around. You know it's a bear. You know it's in your ice chest. You know you have to get out and do something about it, but it's also you know, 21 degrees and you're barefoot in long johns and there's a bear, so. <laughs> well, they did the same thing. They just stayed in the tent, hoping it would go away. But it was just too weird. They said it was like uh, spotlights coming from a, a police helicopter and a police car chase without sound. So finally, one of them unzips the tent, hops out, and the lights all go off, and that's it. So the experience is weird enough. The idea that it is responding to you and following you for 60 or 70 miles, randomly, you didn't do anything. That's the kind of thing that makes a lot of people terrified of being on the, the kinds of roads that we drive all the time out here. It has never made me terrified. It has always kept me awake, though. I never have highway hypnosis falling asleep on these roads because you just never know what you're going to see. And you don't want to hit a jackrabbit and overturn your vehicle. Here's the last one. 
June of 1978. While in the Marine Corps as a young man, I was up on a hill observing fire missions from artillery units when I spotted two bright objects over the mountain range in front of me. As I adjusted fire missions, I'm not sure what that means, they came closer. That's when I heard and saw two jets coming from the same direction on my right-hand side, and the two UFOs pulled back as the two jets continued to approach. I could not say how close they were to each other. All of a sudden, the UFOs just shot up into the stratosphere, and they made those jets look like they were standing still. And he says, I called a check fire, and they came back with, what's your prerogative? I told them there were UFOs in the impact area. I was told to report to my CO. After reporting what I'd seen, I was told that when we are out in the field, we might see all kinds of things, and that I should not concern myself with it. And from August 77, I was in the Marines and stationed at the Marine Corps Base 29 Palms. I and some friends were at the drive-in movie located in the town of 29 Palms outside the base. It was late at night. There was a high wooden fence that surrounded the parking area in front of the movie screen. I just happened to look off to the upper right-hand side of the screen and notice that something was hovering with multicolored blinking lights above a darkened building about a mile away on the outskirts of town. And I thought to myself, they always think to themselves. What the heck is a helicopter doing hovering over a building in town? I was used to seeing all kinds of helicopters on base. Then I noticed that it continued to hover. There was no sound, no sand being kicked up. It appeared to be a giant ball of multicolored blinking lights. I could not discern a shape. I absentmindedly started walking towards the fence to get a better look. I then noticed that many other people in the drive-in saw it too and got out of their cars. The UFO then started to rise straight up silently. It did not flare out at an angle like a helicopter would. It kept going up until it appeared to be the size and color of a star. It then started zigzagging across the sky while still going up until it finally disappeared. I found out later that at the same time, people located on the other side of the drive-in drive saw two UFOs hovering over the mountain located to the left of the screen. They reported that their two UFOs also rose straight up silently and zigzagged until they were out of sight. I thought to myself, I have to call the base and tell someone, but I didn't have any idea who to call. So you know if anything happens here, there's no one to call, I'm sorry to say. You can't call the observatory club. You can call Teresa, she'll put it in the sandpaper. You can call Gary at Z107, and especially if there's a murder in it, he'll, uh, he'll blast it out on Facebook for the next three weeks. So thanks a lot for coming over here and uh, spending a little bit of your Saturday with me and these stories. And I think after this, I'm going to go over and and get a beverage at the Palms. So thank you. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. Pick up our field guide all around Joshua Tree and the whole desert southwest or subscribe online at DesertOracle.com We've even got one of those Patron things. Patreon. I always pronounce it like the tequila. But we've got some extra stuff for our Desert Oracle patrons. Thank you for listening and good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs>